Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Uh, I am in one of those moods today. It will be an interesting program. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 A number of different tweets, um, including some links to stories that we will be talking about over the course of the next couple hours, I will refer you to them. But if you just want to get a head start, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 All right, here is the deal. Thanksgiving is coming up. Obviously, we are in a pandemic situation, and obviously that means a, a balancing of interests. You, you, you want to observe Thanksgiving. You want to keep traditions as much as you possibly can. At the same time, you don't want to do stuff that is irresponsible, right? It, it's that balancing act. And I find this to be very interesting because you can go to a Walmart. You can go to, you know, a, a Costco. You know, you can go to a big box retailer. You can go to a Target. You can buy stuff. You can go to a grocery store and you can walk around with a bunch of strangers and you can buy your Thanksgiving dinner. But if you live in California... There are all sorts of rules that you have to follow. I swear, I am not making this up. If you want a link to the story, again, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. Here are the rules, the mandates that have been issued by the governor of California. And I understand you, you might think I'm making this up, but hand hand in the air, I am not. So here here are the rules if you want to celebrate Thanksgiving in in California, all gatherings are limited to no more than three households. So in other words, all right, if it's my wife and myself and we decide to celebrate Thanksgiving with her daughter and son-in-law, all right, that's two households, we then have to choose. Do we have my brother and nephew over? Do we have Darren's mom and dad down from Green Bay? Do we have my wife's um, other daughter and son-in-law over? I mean, we're only limited to three, so we got to choose who who is going to make the cut. And if you've got aunts and uncles, they're just not even in the consideration to begin with. So no more than three households. All Thanksgiving celebrations in California must be outside. They must be outside. And... There must be enough space so that the households are separated by six feet. So if you've got picnic tables, okay, Fran and I are at one picnic table, I guess, and Jenny and Darren and the kids are at another picnic table, and then, assuming my brother and my nephew and my niece make the cut, you know, they're at a different picnic table. You know, you've got to be separated by six feet. Um, the gatherings are limited to two hours. You are not supposed to be together by more than two hours. So if you're planning to, you know, watch a football game or something, well, you're, you're, you've only maybe a half, maybe a half. Um, so it's limited to two hours. Now, you got to also be careful because the mandate says if you are having one of these outdoor celebrations, three households, two hours, the mandate also says that you are not supposed to sing or shout or yell. You are supposed to speak in a conversational tone because if you raise your voice, the tendency is that you, you might, uh, you know, expel the coronavirus particles. On top of that, 
when you are outside under the Thanksgiving mandate with no more than three households, six feet apart, two hours, you are to wear your mask at all times except, except when you are actively putting food in your mouth. You are, I'm not making this up, you are allowed to take your mask down, put the turkey in, and then you're supposed to put the mask back up when you chew. Now, you might ask me a certain question. All right, and that is, all right, you're, you're there, and you're, you know, you're out in the backyard, and you've got your mask on, and there's a limited number of households, and, okay, nature calls. You've got to go to the bathroom. Well, all right, California has a mandate on that. You are allowed to go into the house to use the facility, but under the rules, you have to bring in the hazmat team immediately after somebody uses the facility. The bathroom has to be immediately sanitized and wiped down before somebody else could use the, the facility. I am not making this up. You can check it out. Again, it's at Wagner 620 WTMJ, um, 620 WTM, Jeff Wagner 620 at on our, on our uh, uh, Twitter account. These are the rules. Now, look, I understand that we are in a pandemic, and I understand that we want to encourage people to be responsible, and the idea of 4,000 people, for example, standing shoulder to shoulder, listening to some band in a beer tent is a bad idea. I I get it. I, I understand that. But when I see things like this, number one, they are ridiculous, If you are that concerned about COVID-19 and catching the coronavirus or whatever, then you shouldn't be going out. Then you shouldn't be socializing at, at all. And I think where stuff like this becomes counterproductive, like Madison's rules that say that, well, we're telling you that if you go over to somebody else's house, you're supposed to wear a mask inside. Those things become so silly that what happens is people roll their eyes and they don't pay attention to anything. They just tune out. We talk a lot about pandemic fatigue and things like that. But but the problem is when you have these rules, which nobody is going to follow, or at least almost nobody is going to follow, it seems to me it kind of sends a message that all these other rules that do, in fact, make sense become white noise. All right, let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think about these rules? No more than three separate households. No more than two hours. Masks, everything has to be outside. Masks the whole time, except when you are actually putting food in your mouth. No shouting, no singing, no chanting. Um, bathroom only if the bathroom is completely sanitized between use. 855-616-1620. The, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is absolutely crazy. And it's interesting that even in California, even in California, people are mocking this particular rule. One of the comedians is saying, well, okay, well, let, let's say you've got your aunt and uncle that didn't make the cut. Can they, like, drive by in front of your house and you can, like, chuck them a couple turkey legs or something in the window? Are they allowed to do that? 855-616-1620. All right, anybody want to defend this? Or my position is completely and totally ridiculous. If you are that concerned about 
catching COVID-19, well, you shouldn't be going to the gathering in the first place. But I don't know about you, but if we're going to have a family Thanksgiving, I understand why you don't want 200 people. I get it. But I'm not going to be in a position where I'm going to have to decide, gee, do we have my brother and niece and nephew over? Or does that mean that, you know, one of my wife's kids and their family can't make it? Or that, you know, it's just... Or, you know, aunts and uncles, forget it. 855-616-1620. To me, I wouldn't say it's the craziest thing I've heard this week, but this is part of the COVID craziness that I think is starting to infect us all as we try to figure out our way out of the pandemic. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is All Right Home and Remodeling. When you want it done right, call All Right, 414-353-6910, or find them at allrightremodeling.com, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would anybody like to defend this? Because I, I understand, and I'm not sure if I can read a couple texts I'm getting, but does, does anybody want to defend this? I mean, I the, the these draconian limits that the governor of California has now put on social gatherings around Thanksgiving. If you're just tuning in, I've got a list of them and a number of stories I'm linked to. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. But essentially, no more than three house, all Thanksgiving gatherings have to be outside. No more than three separate households. So again, if you've got mom and dad, if you've got three kids, you got to decide. <laughs> you know, you and, and they're, they're, they all live in different places. You you got to decide. You know which two are going to get invited. Uh, I have some friends who have like five family, five kids who all have their own families. Well, I'm I'm sorry, you you got to decide who are the three that are going to make the the cut. Um, and then grandparents. Well, if they live separately, they're they're out of this. So no more than three households, no more than two hours has to be outside. You have to wear your masks while you are outside, including. When you are eating, except when you're allowed to bring down the mask in order to put the turkey in your mouth, but then you're supposed to pull it up again while you are chewing. You are allowed to use the bathroom inside. You're only allowed to go inside the other home um, if if you've got to use the bathroom, and then it's got to be thoroughly cleaned and disinfected after you use that. And uh, no more than two hours, and no uh, no chanting no singing, no shouting. So no political arguments. And that at football game, it's only limited to two hours. So you can only plan on seeing either the first half or the second half. And I mean, don't, don't yell, don't cheer. Oh my gosh, why did you throw that pass? Don't raise your voice. And look, and I understand we're living in a pandemic world. I, I get that. But this stuff is just nuts. And the problem is when you have, in this case, it's the governor of California that comes down with these rules, no matter how well-intentioned, people tune them all out because most people think it's kooky. That's just the bottom line. It, it's kooky. Now, if if you're that concerned about again, catching the coronavirus, then, then then you shouldn't be going to one of these events anyway. You, you should just, you know, be, be staying at home and probably not going out to Walmart or probably not going out to the grocery stores or probably not going out to the hardware stores. But if this is your social circle and, and your family and you've chances are you've probably been around them, maybe you haven't for the last seven or eight months, but if you've been around them I mean, my goodness, 855-616-1620. Jeff, who's going to monitor this fiasco? Who are you going to call? Um, COVID busters? Well, you never know about 
that. Jeff, one word, this is socialism. Jeff, how many sheep will actually go along with these ridiculous protocols, and how are they going to enforce it? Well, they're they're not. Jeff, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving this year just to see how many of these rules I can break and have a normal dinner with some of my family. That is the, the ultimate thing. I, I was trying to run through my mind in my mind this morning. If you're limited to three households, all right, who who are we going to decide? I mean, like I say, who who is it that ends up making the cut? Now, I get it. If they're discouraging, again, if they're saying, look, we don't think it's a great idea for, you know, people to be gathering with 100 or 200 people in large getting settings. I, I understand that. And, and to me, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you have to trust people to do the right thing. But saying that you cannot have family or your very close friends, people that you have been socializing with over the course of the last several months, having t- saying we're not going to allow them to come over and have any sort of social interaction. I'm sorry, that that's that to me is nuts and that's not pretending that there's not coronavirus but again if if you are that concerned that you don't want to be around anybody well well fine don't don't go out i think you have to figure out a balancing how do we live with covid-19 not doing stuff that is unreasonably risky but at the same time recognizing that we we have these things that like lives that people are going to be living um, Jeff, I just flew in from LAX. That would be the Los Angeles airport last night. Apparently, the governor, governor forgot to tell them the rules, saw masks, but absolutely no social distancing, and nothing has changed in the restrooms. On the planes, they enforce masks, but loading and unloading the plane totally undid any good the masks did. I was flying on Spirit. Um, yes, no chanting, Jeff, unless it's dear leader. Thank you, dear leader. Um Yes, no question about that. Um, Jeff, it's a good guide. It gives people to think about to be safe. All right. It, it, the, the problem with this is it's ridiculous in the sense that most people aren't going to follow this. This is just not the real world. And it's one thing to say, look, you, you should wear a mask when you're out in public. Everybody understands that. That's good. You should avoid large gatherings. I, I, everybody understands that. But saying we're going to limit Thanksgiving to three households, you have to decide. You're, you're not allowed to, you know, take your mask off when you're outside and you're eating. I'm sorry, most people are just going to roll their eyes and ignore this. And the problem is, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Whenever you come down with recommendations that make a lot of sense and that should be generally observed, if if all people are hearing is, gee, did you hear what they wanted to do with, with Thanksgiving and limiting it to two hours and no cheering and have to be outside and you've got to like essentially call in the hazmat team if somebody uses the bathroom, all these different things, people tune out when they hear other advice that perhaps they they should be following or paying attention to. It's when leaders get too far ahead of the people they're supposed to lead, all they end up being is like crazy people wandering out in the woods shouting at themselves. In any event, if you want to see these details, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. My niece, who is a senior at San Diego State, um, she's she's coming back here for Thanksgiving, and, and yes, we are going to, I'm not sure whose house we're having Thanksgiving, but Sydney, you don't have to worry. You are, you're going to make the cut. I guarantee you, you will be included in the dinner. I, prom- I promise. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Election Day is less than one week away, and WTMJ is the only place for the best election coverage in the Badger State. Join us next Tuesday night for Decision Wisconsin, the 2020 general election. John McCure, Eric Bilstadt, and experts around the country give you the results and analysis as votes are counted. It's Decision Wisconsin next Tuesday night, starting at 8 o'clock here on WTMJ. All right, big it's actually a big story that is now, it's a very significant story, and it's a significant story that will play out over the course of the next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um, but I think right now it's already like second page news, and that is that uh, yesterday, Amy Coney Barrett, ACB, was confirmed on a straight, pretty much a straight party line vote. I think one Republican, Susan Collins of Maine, defected, but she was confirmed as uh, a justice on the United States Supreme Court. Remember, about a month ago or so, after the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, there were all these people talking about, oh, it's going to be an electoral disaster if the Republicans go ahead and confirm uh, anybody, much less, you know, ACB, to that position. And, and my point then, and my point now is, look, I don't know how the election is going to turn out next Tuesday. Don't know who's going to win for president. Don't know what the makeup of the Senate or the House is going to look like. But I, I do feel confident in saying not one vote will change because the Republicans went ahead and filled that Supreme Court seat. If you don't like Donald Trump, well, you're you're not going to like him less because they filled the seat. And similarly, if you're a Trump supporter, you're glad this happened. So the bottom line is, this to me was an action, despite all the gloom and doom and the political prognostications, this was an action that has, at least in the real world, politically, very, very little consequence. Big, long-term consequence, though, for the court, which is now... 6-3 conservative, or John Roberts tends to kind of flash back and forth. So, you know, five and a half, three and a half, perhaps. I think Justice Barrett is going to be an absolutely outstanding member of the Supreme Court for decades to come. I think it was a good move. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One week before the presidential election, the United States Supreme Court has cleared up a mess that was caused by a federal judge in Madison who decided to monkey with the clear meaning of the law. To the extent that there is any confusion, and we're going to try to clear that up, to the extent there is any confusion, it, it falls squarely in the court of U.S. District Judge William Conley, who instead of simply following the law, has decided to try to rewrite the law to fit his particular sensibilities, and it's caused a whole bunch of confusion. Here's the deal. In Wisconsin, the law is very, very clear. The black-letter rule of law says that ballots have to be into the clerk's office by the time the polls close on Election Day. So... Now, if you're in line to vote in person, as long as you're in line, you're going to be allowed to vote. But that means for absentee ballots, for all the people who have requested them, they have to be received in the clerk's office by the time the polls close, which is 8 o'clock on, on election night. So if you now you've had <clears throat> people have had weeks and weeks and weeks to request absentee ballots. And in many cases, those absentee ballots have been returned. We're, we've, we've already seen hundreds of thousands of ballots that have been returned. In addition, 
early in-person absentee voting started last week. So a number of people have already gone down. That's what my wife and I did. We, we cast our votes. But if you are one of the people who have not filled out your ballot yet and returned it, what you need to know is that it has to be back in the clerk's office, received by the clerk at your minis- in, in your particular municipality by the time the polls close, which means uh, starting right now, if, if you just drop it in the mail, you are taking a chance, and this is not a knock on the Postal Service, but you are taking a chance that, that your ballot might not get returned in time, which means if you want to make sure that ballot is counted, you're probably better off just driving over to City Hall or walking over to City Hall and dropping the ballot off to make sure it's physically been received. You can still put it in the mail, but you have to understand you're then taking the chance that that ballot's going to be received by next Tuesday at the time the polls close, which is what the law says. So why is there this confusion? Well, about a month or so ago, a federal judge in Madison ruled that despite the fact that the law says the ballots have to be received, by the time the polls close on election night, he was going to extend the deadline. And the rule, he said, despite what the law says, as long as the ballot is postmarked by election day, in this case, November 3rd, it would be counted as long as it came in up to six days later. So you could have all sorts of ballots that would be trickling in over time. Now, you might want to argue, I guess reasonable people can perhaps argue that, well, maybe that's a good thing. We don't give people enough chance. We make it too hard to vote. So, you know, we, we shouldn't require them to make sure they get their ballot in in a timely fashion. You, know, you can perhaps make that argument. But to me, that's an argument you make to the legislature. If the legislature wants to change the laws, change the laws. But the law is really clear. Right now, your ballot has to be received. And to the extent there is any sort of uncertainty that's been caused by this federal judge's ruling a month ago, which has now been litigated through the courts. It was appealed to the U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. They overturned that ruling and said, no, the law is the law. And yesterday, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld that Seventh Circuit decision. So, like I say, right now, if you have a ballot, if you have an absentee ballot, It's your responsibility to make sure that it is returned by the time the polls close, which means that the longer you wait, you're depending on if you're going to put it in the mail, you're depending on the Postal Service delivering it. And if you wait too long and the Postal Service gets swamped or the ballot, the mail gets delayed or you just don't give them enough time and your ballot comes in on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, it's not going to be counted. That That's just the reality. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I hear a lot about, oh, th- this is just voter suppression. This is just an, another attempt to try to, I don't know, stop people from from voting. And, and my response to that is, that's silly. I mean, we make it so easy now for people to vote. You have been able to request an absentee ballot for a long time. Matter of fact, in many municipalities, you're automatically, if you voted absentee before, you're automatically going to get a notice uh, of a request. All you have to do is fill that back out and, and send it in. So between... The early absentee voting between the in-person absentee early voting and between the, the same day showing up actually on election day and voting, 
it's never been easier to do that. And to me, this idea that, oh, people are trying to suppress the vote by saying that the ballots have to be received. Can you imagine they're saying that the ballots have to be received by the time the polls close? I don't think that is unduly burdensome at all. I mean, everybody should know, look, this is the deal. You can vote in all these different ways, but it's your responsibility to make sure that that ballot is going to be received by the time the polls close. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't see that as voter suppression, and I don't see that as unreasonable. The only thing that's unfortunate, again, is that we have this uncertainty, but that was created by this federal judge in Madison a month ago who decided to start to monkey with the plain laws of the state of Wisconsin when it comes to the election. Is it voter suppression? Is it unreasonable to expect people to have their ballots returned by the time the polls close? We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. John on the north side. John, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, you're right. Uh, get those ballots in on time. As simple as that. You don't got to change nothing. You got a time set. It's already set. So, so do the right thing. If, if this if this is a, uh, election is important to you, it ought to be important because me, you know, I feel mine. I, and I took it to the post office. They right. put it right in the. You know, I didn't put it in the regular mail. I put it right in the post office, and then I called a couple of days later. To, to verify that they had it, mm-hmm. sure. So they, so they had mine, you know. So I figure it's it's simple. Well, it, it, know, it, it is, and that's what the law, I mean, thanks to call, John, and, and look, and, and look, I, I understand there, there's different ways you could go. For example, I understand the IRS says that for your tax returns, as long as they're postmarked by April 15th, it, it doesn't have to be received. Okay, I, I get it. So there, there's different rules that you can have. But in Wisconsin, the law for the elections is very, very clear. It says the ballot has to be received by the time the polls close. I was just pulling this up. And, and for people who might think this is an unfair or a limitation, the, the absentee ballots for people, you, you've been able to request an absentee ballot for a long time. September 16th was when the clerk sent out like about, they say about a million absentee ballots. So the, the ballots have been in the hands of lots and lots of people since September 16th or 17th or, or 18th. So, you know, you, you've had a lot of time to decide to, to vote. And again, if you wait to the last minute, yes, you're, you're going to have to jump through a couple hoops. You know, if you if you wait till the last minute and then try to get the, something through the mail, well, all right, you, you're going to have to take a couple extra steps, which is why people should, you know, do it sooner. You want to do it in time to make sure your your vote gets there, or like you did, just just stop and, and drop it off. But but that's it. If you wait and wait and wait, at some point in time, you're going to have to take some more responsibility for making sure it received. But but it's not this idea that it's it's voter suppression. Um, you know, no, that it's it's a reasonable restriction. But more importantly, it's what the law says. Jeff, we have to here's a text. We have to have a cutoff day. Are we supposed to wait until the middle of November to see who won? People have had plenty of time to get their ballots in on time. Uh, Jeff, it's it's not voter suppression to welcome and encourage people to vote for over a month 
while expecting a manageable cutoff date. Right. That's exactly what this is. Jeff, um, we are expected to have our payments mailed in and received by a certain date. Why is it so hard with your vote? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of credit card companies, for example. You know, your payment has to be received by, uh, again, the, if October 30th. If that's the date it's due, the payment has to be received by then. If your mortgage payment is due by October 30th, it's your responsibility to make sure that the money is there. Now, maybe some companies have grace periods or, or whatever, but if the rules are it's got to be by the 30th, well, then you have to bear some responsibility. And again, it's not like we're making it that difficult. Jeff, should I trust the United States Postal Service? Well, I, I trust the Postal Service, but but at the same time, if you wait till the last minute, you just you you don't you don't know how busy they're going to get. Um, the, the best example would be around Christmas time. It takes a little bit longer to get mail delivered because the the system just gets absolutely overwhelmed. So you know. You, you got to understand, you got to take some responsibility here. And for people who, and I was watching some news reports yesterday, people complaining about chaos and things like that. The only chaos that was caused was by this federal judge in Madison who decided to monkey with the plain language of the law, which then gave people the idea that despite what the law says, you, you don't have to worry about getting your ballots in and received by the date of the election as long as you get them in the mail. Well, okay, that, that's not what the law says. And again, as I was saying earlier, you might want to argue, may, maybe this is something to consider. Maybe this is something that the legislators should consider changing, you know, moving forward. Now, I would argue that there's no reason to do it, but at least reasonable people can disagree about that. Reasonable people can't disagree about the fact, though, that you know, if the law says the ballot has to be received by the close of business, by the time the polls close on Election Day, then that's when they have to be received. Chuck on the south side. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Well, Jeff, I was just listening to you, and I kind of disagree with you on changing the law. I would kind of – I have no problem with changing the law to three to four days after because there are – I don't trust a bail-in. And the other thing I got for you is – why don't the uh, yeah? Why don't Wisconsin start counting the ballots the day that they got them? Like some states do. Why don't we do that also? Well, I okay. For, first of all, Chuck, I, I I don't. It's not an issue of of not trust. First of all, if you don't trust the postal service, and I, I'm not that guy. If you don't trust the postal service, uh, allowing the allowing the ballot to come in three or four days later isn't necessarily going to change that because who knows your ballot's not going to get lost or something. I, I'm again I. It's not that I don't trust the Postal Service, but I, I voted early but in person. I, I prefer doing it that way. So if you're unsure about whether or not your ballot is going to get there in time, then what you should do is you should you should drop it off. All right. Now, to your question about why don't they allow the, the clerks to you know start counting earlier? I'm with you on this one. And, and this is. This is one where it's it's interesting that you've got a lot of people in the legislature and you've got Senator Ron Johnson, groups, uh, Democrats in the state legislature who would never agree with Ron Johnson about anything, but they agree with him on this, and I agree with them all. In Wisconsin, the law is that the clerks cannot start 
counting those ballots. So you, you've gone in, you voted absentee. Your your ballot has been received. It's in that envelope. The envelope is sealed. It, it's sitting in the vault with the other sealed ballots. Just like when I voted early, my early voted absentee, I, I sealed the ballot. I actually gave it to the woman behind the counter. She sealed it. She witnessed it. She put it in, in this box that then on election day, they will open, start opening up the ballots and start putting them in the machines. I agree with you completely that... And the, the reason they do that is because the law says you've got to. The law says you can't start processing absentee ballots until Election Day. I, that law was written before we had a, a million people voting absentee. That law was written when the vast majority of people actually showed up on Election Day and voted. That dynamic has changed. I agree with you completely. I would support and have argued for the last couple months to give a break to the clerk's office. I would allow them to start the process of at least feeding the ballots into the machines, not tabulating the results, but feeding the ballots into the machines. And I am confident that you could set up a set of rules to guarantee that there's there's security you know, behind that, um, just like we have the security at the election day. I think this would be a, a great thing for the clerks. Unfortunately, we didn't do it this year. Hopefully by next year, maybe we'll come around and, and do that. But as far as voting, it's now settled. If you've got any doubts at all, it's your responsibility to get your ballot in by the time the polls close next Tuesday. If you just drop it in the mail on Monday, you're taking a chance that it's not going to be received. If you mail it on Tuesday, you pretty much guarantee it's not going to be received. So just plan accordingly if you're still intending to vote by return your ballot by the U.S. mail. Back with more in just a minute. If you follow me on Twitter, I, I link to a story involving IKEA, you know, the, the big Swedish furniture maker. And, and it's one of those stories that, to me, just illustrates political correctness run amok and, and the people who are politically correct and perpetually offended. Here, here's the deal. Every year, IKEA comes out with this, this huge catalog. And it, it's like a 300-page catalog. And it's, it's like the old Sears catalog used to be. People wait for this. It's supposed to come out in August, but it's been delayed. The reason why it was delayed is because as they were reviewing it, they found a picture. Now, Ikea, most of the furniture you get from Ikea, you have to assemble it. So they they found, as they're going through this catalog, one person at the company, and it's just one person, sees a a photograph. And in the photograph, the the model was a, a young black man who was standing there looking at all the parts of a bed, you know, and I think this was like an advertisement for it is pushing the service they have to assemble stuff because that would be me standing there looking at all these parts going, what do you end up doing? But in any event, the, the guy's wearing a, a shirt and on the back of the shirt, they, they have the numbers like four, five, six, seven. It's, it's just the shirt he was wearing. It had the, the numbers on it. Somebody at Ikea looks at that and says, huh, that shirt has numbers on, on the back of it. Maybe somebody would look at that and associate it because this is a black man and because the shirt has numbers on it. It's a white shirt, by the way. It's not like it's an orange jumpsuit or anything. Maybe somebody would think that this shirt was linked to the prison culture. So as a result, 
we shouldn't send out, we should, they ended up recalling thousands and thousands of issues of this catalog. They delayed the production of the rest of it. it it's just amazing. And if you want to see the picture that, that caused all the, this, this issue, well, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And look, as I often say, I realize there's real racism in the world and I realize that there's real cultural insensitivity. But the fact that this guy was wearing a shirt that had some number, serial numbers on the back, and the idea that anybody would look at it and would assume that, okay, this is a black man, and he's got a shirt that has some numbers on the back, even though this has no relationship at all to any of the sort of clothing you would wear in prison, but nevertheless, we're concerned that somebody might make that connection, so we've got to, I don't know, just redo the whole catalog. It's like it almost makes your head want to explode. Again, you can check it out on uh, Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Got a link to the IKEA story. Back with much more in just a couple minutes. Please don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We talk about pandemic fatigue. You know, the fact that that people are, are just worn out after month after month after month of, of dealing with COVID-19. And as a result, they're perhaps taking some risks that aren't in their best interest, in part because of the frustration that, that nothing seems to be working. And and I understand that there's, if you look in Wisconsin, you, you want to see COVID as maybe a political sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is, that, that COVID-19 and the coronavirus, it's, it's not a unique problem to Wisconsin. It is spiking all across the country. As a matter of fact, it's spiking all across the world. So, you know, what we're dealing with in Wisconsin is no different than what they're dealing with in Arizona or in California or in Florida or in Great Britain or in Spain or in Italy or in Germany, you know, the, the list or in France, the list just goes on and on and on. And I guess you can argue to a matter of degree, well, it's worse in one place than another, but it, it, it's bad all over. And authorities are are trying to figure out, you know, what we do with this and how do we, we live with this, understanding that people aren't responding to the lockdown they're just they're not going to put up with the lockdown so what what's the balancing and and how do we limit and flatten the curve as they say and try to control the spread till you get a vaccine but there's that frustration and and that's the pandemic fatigue that we we talk about i think there's also something that's developing in this country and i'm going to call it riot fatigue the the idea that i think People, even people who look at situations involving the police and say, all right, maybe that this was not they did not handle it the best. And maybe we need to look at the circumstances surrounding this and figure out why something happened. But then when they see that the the default position of at least some members of the community is to take to the street and riot, what happens is any sympathy that the people might have for the underlying issue gets thrown out the window. And that's what's been going on in Philadelphia yesterday. If you haven't seen this story, I've, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to this. But but here's what happened. Um, in, in Philadelphia yesterday afternoon, 27-year-old black man named Walter Wallace Jr., who, uh, according to the reports, mental Ill, has problems with mental illness, bipolar, and, and other things going on. Yesterday, the reports are that police were called before the incident we're going to talk about. Police were called to his residence on on at least two occasions yesterday to to deal with, you know, issues. And and the details 
are are kind of unclear as to what the, those issues were. But it, uh, my guess is the guy's off his meds and he's acting up. So he gets they get called back a third time and they go over there about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. And the, the reports are he, he's he's got a knife and he's he, he's he, he's again he's acting up and he's got a knife. The police arrive at the scene, and and the the actions really aren't aren't controverted. Um, his mother is there. She's trying to calm him down. She is not successful in, in doing that. And he he's he's there, there's video of this. And he, he's got the knife. The police are instructing him put down the knife. He doesn't put down the knife. The police are telling him, stop, don't, don't come closer. He, he doesn't. He starts advancing on the police, and two police officers shoot him, and, and they kill him. And it's, it's just an unfortunate thing all around. The father of the, of the, of the young man is saying, you know, why didn't they try to do something else? Why, why didn't they try to tase him or something like that? And, you know, th- these are all valid concerns that the people, you know, should be asking. I mean, on its face is you've, you've got a guy who's, you know, coming at the police officers with a knife. And and so, all right, the, their response is, hey, we're, we're being f- presented with a situation where we need to defend ourselves. We don't have to let the guy stab us. So we, we end up shooting. All right. That's the police officer situation. From the family's perspective, they're like, look, you, you'd been here before. You know, this is a mental health issue. You know, you should have come prepared with an, an idea that it's going to be something other than pulling out your guns and shooting. Them. So it, it's a difficult situation all around. But you have a 27-year-old man who's dead, right? Within, oh, about an hour or so after this shooting, what happens is you have hundreds and hundreds of people who take to the streets of Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, and engage in what can only be described as a riot. You have one police officer who's significantly injured when somebody drives a truck into him. You have another approximately 30 police officers who are taken to the hospital to be treated for minor injuries. Mostly they're hit with people throwing rocks and bricks and frozen water bottles and things of the like. You have one police car that is burned. You have a number of stores that are are looted. And you have another one of these situations where the, the, the city is... Again, you know, dealing with what can only be described as a riot. Schools in the area are closed. I think a lot of businesses are closed today. Don't know if they're going to put in a curfew or not. But I guess I look at this, and this is what I want to talk about. Why, why is the default position when you have a situation like this? And look, I don't know enough about this to take a position about whether this was justified or not. My guess is the shooting was probably justified under the circumstances, but the larger question is, you knew this kid had, a, this young man had, had a mental health issue. You know, you'd been there a couple times. Why, why did we respond and treat him as, as somebody who didn't have the mental health issue? You know, should they have had mental health issue people on the scene or whatever? Those are all very fair questions about the police response. But 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 that all gets sorted out, and the mayor has said, "Hey, we're we're going to have a complete investigation of this, and we're going to determine whether it was a justified shooting." But I guess what I find to be interesting is within just a, 
a, a very brief period of time after this, this shooting, which is a tragedy, and it is. You know, the, the default position of at least hundreds of people is to take to the streets, to throw bricks, to throw rocks, to throw frozen water bottles at cops, light stuff on fire, and loot stores. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For people who are trying to bring about change, I guess I see these tactics as being completely and totally counterproductive because the underlying story of do the police need to do better in dealing with situations like this gets lost when you see pictures of people just throwing bricks at at cops who are trying to stop buildings from getting burned down. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and candidly, I mean, I describe this as, as riot fatigue. I think it's... It, it is almost unfortunately predictable that any time you have in this country nowadays, any time you have a police situation where there is a shooting involved and it's a person of color, you can almost guarantee that within an hour, regardless of what the circumstances are, you know, you're, you're going to have chaos in the streets. And that seems to me doesn't help anybody, doesn't help the people who are trying to Again, hold the police accountable if there's been misconduct. If there's been misconduct, and it certainly doesn't, um, it, it doesn't make people who are perhaps sympathetic to you know the underlying cause of social justice. Uh, it doesn't make them sympathetic when they say, "Okay, you've got all these people who are now you know using this as an excuse to loot the local Seven Eleven." Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess I, I, I'm looking at this story out of Philadelphia, and it could be any any major urban area. I mean, we we saw it in Kenosha. You've certainly seen it in Minneapolis. You know, and it's Louisville exactly. Every time there's a situation where you have the police that are required to use deadly force. Uh, the, the immediate default position, if that, per, that force is used against a person of color, now seems to be, okay, we're, we're going to go and we're going to start to riot. And we're going to burn down buildings and we're going to throw bricks at police officers and see how many we can put in the hospital. And we're going to set stuff on fire. And, and my point is... I, that reaction is counterproductive. It means a lot of people that might otherwise be sympathetic. And look, I look at this thing in Philadelphia, and I mean, it appears that you've got somebody who's bipolar, who's in a, a highly agitated state. The police have been out at the place a couple times. They're called back again. The guy's got a knife. He refuses to drop it. He comes at the police officers. You know, on the one hand, you say, okay, well, you can understand. He was coming at him with a knife. You understand why they, they, they shot him. And in the most simplistic area, yeah, I, I get that. The, the larger question is, okay, when you know somebody, you've been there on multiple occasions, you know you're dealing with somebody who's mentally ill, you know, maybe instead of going back that third time with the idea that, all right, he's going to maybe kill us and so we have to shoot him maybe that's where you bring some mental health professional in or, or something like that and th- those are all in my opinion very very fair questions to ask about the way the philadelphia police department you know does business and things like that and you know what is the protocol here when you have somebody who's mentally ill um because you know they're, they're not in their their right mind but but all those things i think among a lot of people just get lost 
when the story becomes, okay, so we've had this situation, now boom, you know, everybody's out in the street and they're throwing bricks at police officers. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, the police should bring along a psychiatrist or someone trained to communicate with the person when they go to calls where somebody is seriously mentally ill. I, I think that's that's a fair thing. Now, again, in many situations, the police, when you roll up on a scene, the police don't know the circumstances. You don't know that somebody's dangerously mentally ill. Now, in this case, at least based on the reports that are coming in, not necessarily these police officers, but police officers had been to the same place two previous times that day. So at least authorities were on notice that, that something was you know, going on that was out there. Jeff, the police shot and killed someone um, and uh, on the south side. No one came out to to protest, um, but there wasn't a person of color. Well, uh, you know, that, that I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand. Look, and I, I understand that you've got you know certain communities that are, are certainly on edge. And I understand that we've got these movements of defund the police. And I got the I understand that there's people who, uh, again, think think that uh, the, the police end up being the enemy, but yet it's the police that end up getting called when you've got a situation by someone who's out of control and is carrying a knife. Jeff, it's kind of strange that this type of stuff happens um, when people expect restraint from the police officers and high t- amid high-tension situations, but the same people who are in the streets causing violence do not set that type of example. Um, well, yeah, um, I, I think, you know, that's it. Jeff, it's really sad to say that police should be, bring a psychologist with them, but where is that funding going to come from? Police departments are getting cut nationwide, and Milwaukee has as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's, I, I think, a fair sort of thing for everybody who's out there saying, well, let's defund the police, let, let's cut the police budget, let's get rid of 120 officers or 150 officers. Where is, is that going to come from? Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I, I agree with what you're saying about it being very counterproductive to go burning businesses down, but people get it. I mean, this happens over and over and over. And just a few minutes ago, you said, well, the police were required to discharge their weapons and shoot this individual. But your earlier analysis, you said, well, what if they had prepared? This is their third mm-hmm. time out in this particular situation. So were they really required to discharge their weapons if they had planned correctly? Well, see, that's yeah. but there, there's two que- there's two separate questions, I guess. I mean, that, I don't know that the two officers who showed up were, were there earlier in the day. My guess is they're different, but I don't right. know that for sure. But, but I guess my, what I'm saying is that when, when you're confronted with this situation where, okay, you're on the scene and you've got a guy with a knife and you tell him to drop the knife and he keeps coming at you, sure. I, I understand why they, they shoot. To me, though, again, the larger thing is, could you have avoided this earlier on by right. recognizing you, you've, you've, you, you don't have, you, you've got a guy that's dangerously mentally ill, not a serial killer, I guess. Correct. Yeah. And then another follow-up on this, which I mentioned, is, you know, I've talked to people who notice a situation down in Florida with that Brad Parscale. Um, very similar. You know, an intoxicated individual making threats. There are allegations of domestic violence here. And he gets, because he had a buddy that was on the police department, a ticket to the hospital. If you talk to most African-American people, they said, I probably would have been shot in that situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I, I look, and I, I see Matt, and I, 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 under, I understand, and I'm... I understand that there's 
real issues with with how we approach modern policing. It's it's different now than it was 15 or 20 or, or 30 years ago. And I, I think there's, if anything, it's, it's much, much harder to be a police officer. There's no question about it. And we're also in situations where everybody is ultimately and, and always being being second guessed. And, you know, in in certain areas, is there going to be a, a different response? I've got some people are texting saying, hey, you know, why wasn't the family more involved? Well, that, that's that's tough to blame the family. I mean, if you've ever dealt with the situation where, you know, somebody is, is dealing with a significant mental illness, there, there's just there's limits as to what you are what you're able to do. This whole thing strikes me as being a, a tragedy. Now, was it preventable? I mean, that's what an investigation is going to determine. I guess my only point is that all ends up getting lost when the story and the pictures are here, you, you, you have riots going on in Philadelphia, and, and we were not able to, when that's the default position, oh, somebody got shot, it's like, okay, let's go out and throw bricks at police officers. That doesn't win hearts and minds over to people's side. Paula in Menominee Falls. Paula, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, I, I, listen, I listen to so many reports like yours where there's someone with a mental health issue going on, and after the fact, after something tragic has happened, people are second-guessing, saying, why haven't mental health professionals escorted the police? But never once in the last several months when there's been many, many calls for this have I heard mental health professionals step forward and come on a show like yours or any of the TV shows or in any of the newspapers to say, yeah, we should be called. Yes, we should, you know, we would be happy to come along on these kind of rides. It, It seems to me that we might be calling for a possible solution that isn't a solution that's going to work because I don't see the mental health professionals stepping up to the plate for this. Well, I think but when they have. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, thank Paul. No, I appreciate what you're saying. But at, at the same time. You know, you you have to. I, I think you, you have to be able to kind of assess situations. And like I was saying earlier, you know, many times cops don't know what they have. You you roll up on something, and all you know is you've gotten a report that there's a, a guy with a knife who you know is attacking so and so, or whatever the report is. And you roll up, and there's a guy with a knife, and you tell him to drop the knife, and he starts coming at you. You you don't have time to be that amateur psychologist and try to figure out what what's going on. All you want to do is make sure that you're you're not going to get stabbed to death. That's that, that's the underlying thing. Now, what might be a little bit different in this case is, again, they were, based on at least what I'm being told, they were out at that house a couple times earlier that day, so you know you have a situation. But to your point, I have an interesting text. Jeff, I have 30 years law enforcement experience in dealing with mental health issues. Um, in dealing with mental health issues, I called people who handled those situations. Um, I could always count on being tied up for at least four hours. I think calling in a social worker sounds good, but then you have to delay until they get there. And sometimes his point is that that delay is is not possible. Um, I, I just throw that out there. But the bottom line is, and, and going back to where we started this conversation, taking to the streets and, and throwing bricks and lighting police cars on fire and driving pickup trucks into police officers to try to injure them, it, it doesn't make a bad situation better. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
For those of you keeping track at home, election day, one week from today. So if you are voting absentee, what you want to do is your ballot has to be received by time the polls close, which would be 8 p.m. one week from tonight. So just keep that in mind if you're deciding to try to use the U.S. mail or, or whatever. Um, you're getting to a point now where, you know, if if it gets much longer, you probably you want to make sure your ballot gets received so it's counted. What you want to do is just drop it off yourself or in the case of the city of Milwaukee, if they've got those drop boxes, you can put it in places like that. But you it has to be received by 8 o'clock next Tuesday for it to count. All right. 2020 has been, to say the least, an, an interesting year between the elections and the social justice protests and of course the all this against this background of the ongoing background of the ongoing pandemic which does not appear to be getting any better and probably won't for for a while so you know people are adapting people are adjusting to different things people are I don't know, people aren't traveling anymore, at least not traveling like they used to travel anymore. People are staying at home. One of the items, though, that is going through the roof, it is the must-have item for lots of people in 2020, and it's a gun. Um, you know, we've talked about this before, but but here's the deal. The, the country this year it is on track to to purchase guns at record rates. I mean, here's the deal. Um, for the first seven months of this year, um, in the seven months of this year between March and September, all right, which is when the pandemic first started, Americans bought 15.1 million guns. That is, wait for it, a 91% leap from the same period in 2019. The FBI has processed more background checks for gun purchases in the first nine months of 2020 than it did for any previous full year. So, I mean, put this in perspective. So the first nine months of this year has set all-time records. There's never a year in history since they started doing the background checks. We're in a full year. They've run as many background checks as they've run in the first nine months. And my guess is that that number is not going to decrease at all. On top of that, they estimate that, and and this is a little bit tougher to pin down, but not that much. The estimate is that of the people that are, are buying firearms, somewhere between 40 to 45% are first time gun buyers. Now on average, in previous years, it's about 25%. One out of, of every four people who buys a gun in previous years has been a new purchaser. Now, like I say, they estimate that it's 40 to 45%. So almost one out of every two, almost, people who are buying guns are people who are buying guns for the first time. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. And when we discussed it at, at the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying that they were, they were considering buying guns because they, they weren't sure that, that civil authorities were going to be able to maintain control. And, and I always try to poo-poo that because I, I don't think we're at a point where civilian authorities are going to lose control of things. Nevertheless, 
between all the different, you know, riots that have broken out across the country, between the general lack of the general concern about the ongoing pandemic and this inability of anybody to know when it's going to end, you know, coupled with uh, maybe concerns about the election. And if Joe Biden wins, does that mean that, you know, they're going to try to limit gun sales or things like that? All these different concerns are playing in there and they're driving a huge market for the purchase of guns. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you considered buying a gun or have you purchased a gun this year? And if you are a first-time gun purchaser, I would be particularly interested in, in talking to you. My question is, why Why is it? What motivated you to go out and say, okay, 2020 is the year when I'm going to go and I'm going to purchase the, the firearm for the first time in my life? What's driving this? 855-616-1620. Are you considering buying a firearm, perhaps for the first time in your life? All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, these these numbers on gun purchases are, are staggering. The FBI in the first nine months of this year ran more background checks on new gun perch on gun purchasers than they have in any full year since they started running background checks, which goes back a long time. Americans bought 15.1 million guns in the seven months from March through September. That's a 91% leap from the same period in 2019. And year to year, traditionally, when they look at, at who's buying guns, historically, about one out of every four are first-time purchasers. The others are people who've owned guns and are, are purchasing a new gun or multiple guns or whatever. Uh, now that number, it's closer, not quite, but it's closer to 50-50, meaning almost one out of every two people that's buying a gun is a first-time gun owner. We're talking about why that is and whether or not you're considering doing that yourself. Uh, Jeff, I'm 62. I've never touched a gun in my life other than a toy BB gun to um, shoot at cans. But now all of my neighbors are armed in case riots come near. I'm going to purchase a firearm this weekend. James in Greenfield, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I appreciate it. Sure. I'm an eight-year eight Army vet. I have never owned a weapon. After the riots first started, my wife, my daughter, and her husband went to a gun store. We know what we want. I kind of put it off on the side. I guarantee if the Democrats win, I will be out this weekend purchasing a weapon. Okay. Now, tell again, tell me um, why. Tell me why. Security reasons. Not that I'm fearful, but my home is my castle, and I will protect my home. I'm not like others will who will carry it out in my car. No, I'm, right. I'm not that way, but I will protect my home. Got it. No, th- thanks. Well, I mean, I think, I think there is... There is that factor that's there. Jeff, my husband has always owned long guns. He's been a hunter since he could go into the woods. My brother and my dad also hunt. So having guns around the house isn't new. However, this year, my husband and I, as well as both my brothers, bought handguns for the first time. Partially, it was because we are concerned those rights may be taken away. Also, we have found ourselves living amid violence 
and rioting, and we want to be prepared. I can't see myself carrying it around as of yet, but I'd rather know I had it there if I ever do need it, rather than to try to get one in a panic situation. Um, Jeff, do you know how many new gun owners are women? Just curious. I, I, I don't know exactly the percentage, but that's my guess is my guess is there's just my guess. Um, it, it's more and more of the first time gun purchasers are, in fact, um, women, um, I, I think. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, do you know how many statistics, how many people have actually used a gun in a home situ- defense situation? Well, hopefully that's extremely Extremely a small number. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Gianni in Montello. Hello. Hey, hello, Jeff. Uh, yeah, Jeff, I, I ha- too am a little bit surprised at, at the, the um, you know, the, the, the number of uh, the spike in gun sales. And I think this, what, didn't this occur uh, uh, during the Obama administration, I think, too, when he was elected? For, for some crazy reason. Who, who knows why? But I think it's a bit of an overreaction. But it's probably largely due to, you know, some of the unrest that we've seen over the summer. But, but one thing that, that bothers me, Jeff, um, you know, as a Gun owner uh, for for years. I mean, we you know I, we, we hunt up here, and, and but if you have children in the house, Jeff, you have to be awfully awfully careful with 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 oh, guns. Yeah. Um, ammunition has to be kept separately. It has to be locked up. Children will get into anything, and if, if and if you're going to buy a handgun. Um, you say you're not a hunter. You want it for home protection. You've got to take a class. You've got to learn what 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 damage this thing can do and how easily it can go off. And when that barrel moves, it doesn't take much energy to push that. Uh, you know, uh, seventy or eighty degrees. Um, well, Johnny, I, I mean, I, I mean, think, I mean, I agree. But first of all, I mean, I, obviously, if, if you're going to if you're going to have a firearm in your house, what you have to do is you have to take precautions to make sure that whether it's children or other people that, that can't get access to it, which is why, I mean, it's I, I think most people, the responsible thing to do is, is have a gun safe and have it locked up and have it accessible, but but have it locked up. I know that's what we do. And to your larger point, I, I also agree. This is something that I preach all the time. And this is from the perspective of somebody who, you know, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I I, I carried a firearm. I was a, for a couple of years, I was special deputy u.s marshal and, and you in order to do that you had to qualify I, I firmly believe that if you're going to take the responsibility if you're going to have one what you have to do is you have to know how to use it and, and i'm i'm just not just talking about taking the concealed carry course that teaches you what your legal rights are i mean i'm talking about i mean you should spend some time on the range you should learn how to shoot it because there's nothing worse i, I think the, the, it, you can say, okay, it's, it's bad to, to not have a gun if you need it. it. It's worse to have a gun if you need it and not be able to use it because you all not know how to use it because you automatically always makes things worse. And that's if I had any beef at all about our concealed carry law in Wisconsin, it would be that we do not require firearms training. I mean, proficiency. By that, I mean making people prove that they know how to do it. All right, let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. You know, my thoughts are, regardless of the results of the election, I intend to probably go out and purchase a, a firearm for my personal safety as well, not just for my home, but for when I'm out in the street. Um, I, I hear a lot of callers saying, you know, because the rioters this and that, and to defend your home, I understand that completely. Uh, I'm a 
pretty strong liberal, but I'm also a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. And uh, to be quite frank, the only people that I've seen uh, uh, injured or killed so far this year uh, was the people that Rittenhouse killed uh, across the street from my backyard. Literally, you can you can see it from my property. And so I'm I'm less concerned about uh, the the people going around protesting or, or doing whatever than I am uh, uh, the the crazy right wing people with guns because. Really, those are the only people I've seen shoot and kill anybody this year. So, <laughs> well, I I guess I mean it's it's I, okay, Mark. I, I what I would respond is uh, one of the stories I'm looking at just talks about how it's not just a, along political lines um, that you have people. You have people who are concerned with the just general breakdown in in social uh, issues in in the social fabric. You have people who are concerned about the rioters. You have people who are concerned about. Um, these efforts to defund the police and what's that going to mean to responses to crime? You've got, for example, in Milwaukee and other urban areas, you've got homicide rates that are, you know, off the charts. And yeah, you, you have some people on the left who are concerned about the rise of militias. It's all those different factors that are playing in, as well as this degree of uncertainty that's um, there. Now, a number of people saying, Jeff, uh, if tell people who are going out to buy a gun, good luck if you can't find ammunition or you can't find a gun. It, it is true that there are some shortages, but um, I, you, you, you can still find ammunition. I, I, I kind of know a guy. Um, there, Jeff, there's also been a spike in concealed carry licenses as well. And, and yes, I, I think there's people that are doing that. Again, my point is, if, if, you're, going to, if you're going to own a gun, and you're going to get that concealed carry license, you really do owe it to yourself to make sure you know how to use it in case you ever have to. And and just, oh, I'm going to go buy a gun, and I don't know how to load it, and I don't really know how to shoot it, and I've never fired it at a firing range. Uh, It just... That's that's a that's I think a recipe for disaster. If you're going to be a gun owner, I, I think you need to be a responsible gun owner, and that includes and encompasses a number of things, including learning how learning how to use it. Carrie and Racine, Carrie, you're in WTMJ. Hey Jeff. Hi Carrie. Hi. So um, yeah, I'm a f- I bought my gun um, back in July. Okay. I first took a, the concealed carry class, but it was more I did that to kind of make contact with an instructor. Right. I really didn't know of any in my area, but um, he really wasn't too helpful. Um, I actually went, there's a group out there for all the women. I know women are kind of intimidated because you go to the range and it's a lot of guys and whatever, but there's a group called the Well-Armed Woman, and if you look them up, they can hook you up with a female instructor, and it's a little less intimidating, and that's how I started. I did instruction one-on-one with a female instructor. So you actually went out and you, um, you sat at you sat at the firing range and they they taught they really taught you how how to use the gun if lord forbid you're ever in a situation where you have to. Yes, and she actually the first time I met with her brought several different handguns to the range and I tried probably seven of them because Sure. I, for one, have really small hands, and if you you know you don't sure. just want to. Well, my friend has this gun. I'm going to go buy that. <laughs> it may not work for you. Right. Exactly. Okay. Now, tell me why, Carrie, did you decide after all these years to to be a first time gun owner? Um, uh, I, you know, I had wanted to do it for a while, and then I think with just everything happening, it made right. me say, this "Okay, I'm going to go do it." But I do agree with you. Um, so I've also gone to a place in Waukesha that has 
several different levels of classes. So I've taken beginner handgun classes. I've taken intermediate handgun classes. And the next one I'll move up to is defensive. I think that's really important because if you don't know what you're doing with that weapon, well, that can be a disaster. Well, right. It's like, and this is a bad analogy, but it's like, okay, we for, we, for, for when somebody turns 16, we just don't throw them the keys to the car and say, here, go go out and drive on the freeway. You know, we, we just, we, we have we, we have classes and you have driver's ed that, that, that also has some behind the wheel stuff so that we know, so you know which one's the, which one's the, the brake and which one's the accelerator and you know how to deal with these things. And I guess I, I liken it the same thing to, to guns. You know, it's it. You you got to learn how to do it. So, um, kudos to you, Carrie. You've certainly done it in a responsible way. Do you enjoy being a gun owner? Do, do some people really like going out to the range and shooting and things like that? Do you enjoy doing that? I actually do. I have, uh, you know, I have my own range bag now, and you know, I <laughs> okay. I go out to the range, hang up my own targets, and cool. yeah, I do actually like it. Okay, well, that, that, you know, it is interesting. Thanks for call. I, I do know a number of people who have purchased firearms in the whole self-defense thing and, and or for whatever reasons and then they, they take my advice or they take it upon themselves and they go out and they're you know they, they go out and they start practice shooting stuff and they find that they they enjoy it and to me that's the kind of key to responsible gun ownership in any event if you're wondering whether there's a particular industry that is doing extremely well this year there, there's one and that's 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 the gun industry back with more in just a minute Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, should we just shut her down? The new COVID numbers are, are out, and be, because they were offline for a few days last week, the, the numbers are still kind of like spacing around. But uh, today, was uh, they're reporting... A new record. They're reporting um, gee, over five thousand positive positive tests for for COVID and an extra sixty four deaths. The way it stands now, um, since the pandemic started, two hundred and six thousand people in Wisconsin have tested positive for COVID. More than two million people have been tested. The the good news is that of those people who've tested positive, 158,000 have completely recovered. They have 41,000 active cases. Most of those people will undoubtedly recover. And um, unfortunately, 1,852 deaths. So that's the number. The The numbers in Wisconsin are not good, but it is a, this is, it is a countrywide problem. It is a worldwide problem. And as things are getting colder and people are retreating inside what you're seeing is you're seeing the the spike in these these numbers um in addition i I think some people are still like hoping for silver bullets and and i just i don't know that there is a silver bullet that's out there right now just in the last 24 hours I, i know three different people who tested positive for for covid thankfully None of them appear to be seriously ill, and I mean that thankfully. Um, but but interestingly, all three of the people that I, I know who just tested positive, they, they wore masks. They, they, this was they, they wore masks. They did not go to large gatherings. And, and interestingly, all of them, you say, "Where'd you get it?" And they say, "We we really we just we really don't know." So I mean, the people I know, and and by the way, I I'd say I probably know at least a dozen people who've who've had COVID, and thankfully, everybody I know that's had it has recovered from it without any sort of long term consequences that we know about. But but all of them. 
th- these aren't the people that are running into like a, a, a beer bar and, and standing there with 300 people. These are people who, I mean, took appropriate reca- precautions. It's not people who are being irresponsible. They just, they, they got it. They don't know if they got it when they were in the hardware store, you know, wearing the mask. They don't know if they got it in the grocery store. Don't know where it was exactly they got it, but they, they just, they just got it, showing how, I guess, pervasive this disease is. Now, there's a story in the, the newspaper. I don't know if it made the print edition today or yesterday. I have a link to it if you follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. There's the, this, this woman from Milwaukee, and I kind of looked at her Twitter account, and she's very, very politically active on, on the left. And, and her story that she was quick to tell to the Journal Sentinel was that she was at an event at the Waukesha County Expo Center on October 17th and then went to two downtown Waukesha bars. And she was upset that people weren't wearing masks um, at the Expo Center and that she went to these bars and people weren't bars or restaurants and people weren't wearing masks. Well, the rules for wearing masks in bars and restaurants are a little bit different. But but regardless, she she did not. She was unhappy that mask rules were not being enforced. And she started contacting authorities in Waukesha and they pretty much said, sorry, we, we just we do not have the resources to, to do this. And she's very, very frustrated about about this. And of course, I mean, the alternative is if she goes into a place and she just feels uncomfortable, she could always turn around and walk out. But, you know, maybe she did that. But at the same time, she also decided to express her concern that there were other people there who, who weren't. So, I mean, here here is the reality. Masks or or not. And I'm, I'm not one of these people who opposes masks. And when I go inside to different places, I follow the rules and I wear them. But, I mean, there's a lot of people who've got COVID who, who wear the masks. It's just the, the virus is very, very pervasive. And the, the truth of the matter is, I, I think until there's a vaccine, you're going to start, you're going to continue to see the, these numbers as long as people are, in fact, out and about. And, you know, maybe it's the kids that are going to school and, you know, somebody ends up being quarantined because some kid is exposed, etc. Obviously, for the people who are most vulnerable the people who you know are in the age groups where if you get it there's a greater likelihood of a bad outcome or the people that have the pre-existing illnesses or the people who are in the nursing homes and things like that obviously it needs to be a a priority maybe even sort of lockdowns when it comes to things like that but the question becomes given that we're back where we were, not just in Wisconsin, but across the country, given that we are back where we were in March and arguably worse. All right, we're really dealing, I think, with two situations. You can encourage people to be smart. You can encourage people to wear the mask, and I think a lot of people are. But people are doing all that, and they're still getting sick. So the question becomes, do we go back to shutdowns? Because it seems to me that's really what the choice is. We, we can encourage people to socially distance, which I think makes sense. We can encourage people to practice the hygiene, washing their hands. We can encourage people to wear the masks. But candidly, I mean, we, we've had these orders in place, and I understand some people aren't following them, but a lot of people are, and they're still getting sick. So the question becomes, do we decide to live with COVID to the extent we can, 
or do we go back to where we were in March and, and start talking about massive shutdowns, shutting down bars and restaurants, shutting down small businesses, significantly limiting people's access even to essential places like grocery stores and things of like that, and just plan on hunkering down through the long winter for uh, waiting, I guess, for a vaccine. Would you support another ordered shutdown? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is no. I think there's other smarter things that we can do. But I, I understand, looking at these numbers, there's some people who would say, look, we, we just as a society, we have to order everything essentially shut down. We have to hunker in place and, and wait till spring when there's a vaccine. I don't think that's practical. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss next. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Angie in Richfield. Hi, Angie. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Should we shut down the the state, the country, the world again for three, four, five, six months? Yeah, absolutely not. I do not agree that we need to shut down again. I work in the financial business, and it, it is not a good idea to shut everything down. It's going to hurt everybody in the long run, even if we don't shut everything down. Um, and I think people need to we either need to live with it and figure out how to live with it. Um, wear masks if you have to. If you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask, then don't go out. Well, well, right, and, and you, right, and if you see a situation where you're uncomfortable going in, oh, I, I, I'm going to this bar in Waukesha, and there's people who I, I'm uncomfortable with, or there's too many people there. Well, okay, then, then don't go in. I mean, and I respect all that, and then, and then go back, and yeah. But you're, you're right. I think we have to be smart. And I'm with you. I just don't think economically we can shut down this country again. We can't afford to. I know people who own small businesses that that have been extremely affected. And I also know other, I've talked to several restaurant owners, and they can't even get people to work for them right now. Right, right. So they're losing business because they don't have enough people to work. So they can't stay open the way they want to be. Right. Um, So, yeah, it's... No, it's it, going to hurt everybody in the long run. It is. No, thanks. And that's why you have to have what I am describing as as that balancing that's there. Jeff, I just saw an article released on NPR, of all places, saying that we could have a global economic collapse if a major lockdown continues. In my opinion, we cannot afford another lockdown. I think we need to ha- keep everything open, protect all who are predominantly at risk. With that in mind, we need to take care of our loved ones who are at risk. It is our responsibility as healthy humans to do so. I mean, that that is, of course, I, I think, see, that's that's where it starts. That's where I think we missed the boat to an extent, you know, back in March and April, that, first of all, you, you concentrate on the people who are the most vulnerable. And by the way, I understand that you can have somebody who's 30 years old who gets this, who has a really bad result. I, I understand all that. I'm not saying you don't do anything for them, but you start with, okay, we, we know 
that you got to keep it out of the, the senior living facilities and the nursing homes. And we know for the people who are most at risk that there might need to be extra precautions taken from them and maybe even some forced isolation. That That's where you, you start with this, and then you encourage the people to, to be smart. But I think that this idea of, no, we're going to shut everything down, and, and that's going to make it go away. Well, first of all, you can only shut stuff down for so long. We're still dealing with all the, the consequences, not just economic, but psychological and physical from the shutdowns that we imposed several months ago. On top of that, I just flat out don't think people will do it. I, I just I flat out don't. You're already seeing what we talk about with the, the whole notion of, of pandemic fatigue, where people are simply saying, look, we... We, we appreciate that we need to be smart about this. And I understand there's some people who go out and do dumb stuff. I get that. But, I mean, most people, we, we need to be smart about this. But at the same time, we do, within reason, have to live our own lives. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Chris on the north side. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I believe that we got to figure out a way to coexist with the virus because the virus isn't going anywhere. Um, I believe that with some of the small businesses that, uh, they should be able to invest in something that prevents airborne pathogens that's in the air because the mm-hmm. tr- transmission rate is pe- most of the people that you say, they say they don't know where to get it at because it's everywhere. You, you, you have no defense for that. But if you have something, um, what is it? Oh, to what's the place, the blind horse? Uh, that kind of invested in that type of thing, you know, where you can make uh, for airborne pathogens. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have that public uh, restrooms. That That's one of the biggest places where things are transmitted. But the government, they got to kind of, for people that invest in that, they got to give them a little bit of a tax break so that they can keep their businesses open mm-hmm. by trying to make it safer for their patrons of the Public Health Safety Act, if you will, for some politician that's coming up with that I don't know. Right, no, you I, I got I mean? an improving ventilation and things like that. I mean, I um, I have several friends who are, will will eat out, they'll eat at restaurants outside, and that's what we've done. You know, I mean, I, I've eaten in restaurants, but almost, not all, but almost all the times, it, it's been, you know, outside on patio and things like that. Unfortunately, that's kind of coming to an end. So now, but, but you're right. I mean, I, I, so let me be the one to tell you that I'm a musician myself, and I performed in the Shorewood area um, at a bistro, and we did a lot of things outside on Thursdays right. because Jazz in the Park wasn't happening this year. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of festivals and stuff like that that wasn't going on. And it is, we do have to get ready to go back inside. But even when I performed there, I had a blower, and I always sprayed disinfectant around just to, you yeah. never, you never know because you don't know where it's at. And if we took that kind of approach, because we're fighting against something that we can't see, you know, it's an airborne pathogen. And the only way, you know, to, to at least coexist, to bring the numbers down, is to be able to have the air, like you said, more ventilated, safer wherever we are. And, and that'll make it at least we should see, you know, like containment uh, analogy I give you as a, if you had a building, you know, you have a sprinkler system. If a fire breaks out there, the sprinkler system goes off in that area to kind of contain what's breaking out. That's kind of the same thing that we got here. But we don't have a sprinkler system. We just have people saying, uh, stay six feet away and wash your hands. 
that is not going to solve the problem as we can see. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Oh, so I, I have one of these somebody that's extremely. It's always unhappy with stuff I say. So you think it's okay to shut down nursing homes for eight months? Residents and families are shutting, but shutting down. But who cares about them? <sighs> Heavy sigh. Here, here's the thing. You, you always have to prioritize how you're dealing with stuff. If we. If we accept the premise now, if, if somebody were to say, hey, Jeff, we can shut down this country for a week and, and, and then the virus is going to disappear. But that's not going to happen. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just crazy. That's not going to happen. What we need to do is try to control the spread until you get a vaccine and get enough people vaccinated. But while you're doing that, if you recognize that it's not going to go away, seems to me your first priority has to be on concentrating on protecting as a priority those people who are most vulnerable to have a bad outcome. And we, we know who those types of people are. So, yeah, it, it means that there's going to be extra rules that are going to be implied to, like, the senior living facilities. Absolutely, because if you look at where the a lot of the deaths came from early, it came when, you know, COVID got in and you had people who had compromised immune systems and all the other problems that come with aging. Yes, you have to prioritize. That's the whole concept behind triage. And, and yeah, that if you because otherwise, if you th- unless your solution is we're just going to shut everything down and nobody's going to go out, and nobody's going to go to work, and nobody's going to go to grocery stores, and nobody's going to have stuff delivered, and nobody's going to go to school, and nobody's going to teach, and we're not going to do anything like that, and we're going to wait and see where we are in six or nine months. Well, if if that's your plan, go with God. But I don't think that that's an effective plan either. You have to figure out ways that make sense. And for me, it's not shutting down stuff. It is. Again, it's testing, it's contact tracing, it's quarantining people who have been exposed to the virus so they don't spread it to others, and it's learning to, and it's concentrating on trying to protect those who are most vulnerable, period. That's the stuff, it seems to me, to make that makes the most sense. This is Jeff Wagner.